May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. So I said, well, thank you very much and move on. So when I met you, um, I wasn't 100% on board. Um, you, you were passionate, though. You were so, you believed in everything, every word you said. And I said, I'm just going to try real hard um, to, you know, educate, keep an open mind. Let's get rid of the, the drugs, the medication. I know you and I worked on that. You know, if I don't have rheumatoid, then I don't have rheumatoid. And uh, we did that. And um, let's just start over again. And that's what we did. And let me tell you, it was the best decision I made. I mean, three and a half years later, I, was wa- I walked into your office with a cane. I could not walk without my cane. And I don't walk with my cane anymore. Um, my hair was falling out because of all the medications. My hair is growing and is thriving. I mean, you know, a scale's got to look good. Come on. I mean, and I just everything. Uh, irritable bowel slowed down. You know, just trying to understand what my body is telling me. And most of it was fibromyalgia. We will continue hearing about Teresa's story and her journey in trying to conquer fibromyalgia. In this week, we'll look at the early treatment history and also look back at some symptoms that were going back into early childhood. I think you will be inspired. Uh, You will learn more about fibromyalgia, gain some greater insight, and hope that this will help you as you battle to conquer your fibromyalgia. And now time for the introduction. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz, and author and narrator of Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. I am a pediatrician, an internist, a lifestyle medicine physician, and a clinical lipidologist with over 25 years of experience as a medical doctor. My goal is to weave the best of both medical management and lifestyle medicine to helping those who have fibromyalgia. I want them to go beyond just surviving to living well and even reversing fibromyalgia. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is looked at as a supplement or starting point to help build a deeper understanding of the pathophysiology and treatments for fibromyalgia. This does not replace an office visit with your medical doctor or provider. And enjoy the podcast. When you look back, maybe into your 20s, if you go back in a time machine, and you would have looked to the future, would you ever have thought that you could have gotten to the point of struggle that you were, is that something that was even fathomable at that point in 
your life when you look back into, say, your early 20s? Uh, yeah, I, ne- I never thought of that. I, that's why I always exercise. That's why I always uh, either walked, like I said, always exercise. Uh, you know, I was athletic when I was a tom- I was a tomboy when I was growing up, hanging out with the guys. You know, playing you know stickball in the alley, and we actually did that back then. And and you know, riding bikes. I was always busy. I always, you know, mom said, "Let's cook." I don't want to cook. I want to go play. You know, so I, I knew that, you know, thinking back, I, I, I'm a busy person. I, I need to do something, you know. Um, but never. I thought, well, this will keep me going. I'm always doing something. That makes me think about the analogy I often like to use for illustration purposes with my patients that having fibromyalgia is like being blindfolded, bound, and tortured by an unknown assailant for unknown reasons without any recourse for getting better, kind of a learned helplessness. And it sounds similar to your story. And you also talk about the fear to talk about fibromyalgia, the fibromyalgia stigma. And I think there's three levels to that stigma. There's the stigma within yourself that you kind of question or wrestle with that. And also there's the stigma from others, from family and friends in talking about fibromyalgia, and there also is the stigma from medical providers, from physicians who may also have a stigma, may not embrace that or give a lot of encouragement or help and may often feel that it's just in your head. And that's part of why the subtitle of the book is to help validate that, that this is real pain, this is real fog, this is real fatigue. And sharing your story helps validate other stories and I think is really beneficial for those who are listening to this podcast. Well, I I remember, and I think I told you this, that um, we had Christmas. Um, Five kids in the family, we all rotated Christmas. It was my turn, and um, my husband had surgery and I knew I could handle it. I'm a, you know, I can do this, you know, I can take care of this. And the boys were, my two sons were of age where, you know, they're out and about. So, um, you know, I had a full responsibility of getting everything ready for Christmas, uh, for, for a Sunday gathering. And, um, I remember having so much pain. Uh, I was putting soda soda cans in the ice, you know, in the front um, hallway because it was cold, and I just wept. I I just cried quietly, and I thought, God, can I do this? I you know, I just, and I knew I couldn't talk to my family. It was hard to understand, and I just. You know, like you say, you brush yourself off and you get yourself up and you just, you trudge through it, you know. Um, And I got through that day. Uh, Only problem is, is I noticed that the next day was really bad. The pain was really awful. The, The fatigue was really bad. And then it would go into like day two, day three, day four. And... I'm noticing now understanding my body better, working, accepting, 
accepting that I have fibro because I was probably not on board. Yes, you know, no, I don't have fibromyalgia. You know, that's just a diagnosis that if you can't find anything wrong with a person, they just say, oh, you have fibro. I said, okay. Now I accept it. I believe in it. And I'm working very hard, you know, to, to take one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time, and just work with my body, listen to my body, rest when I have to rest, don't overschedule. You know, I always had a full day, can't do that anymore. And I keep re educating my family and some of my friends because. They look at you still and say, you're okay, you know, or you don't talk about it, you know, and I'll say, well, I, if it doesn't come up, I don't talk about it. I just live my life. This is my life. So moving the story along, what do you recall about our initial and first few visits? And what do you remember? Uh, what stood out? in the beginnings on your road to getting through fibromyalgia? Well, well, there was great education from you. Um, I, 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 that's what I wanted. I wanted a primary care to step out of the box and take a look at me and say, this is what I, this is what I think. Let's, what do you think? Let's work together. Um, there was, I wasn't, I didn't really totally, some x-rays said I had uh, rheumatologist, uh, Rheumatoid arthritis. And then um, I did go to one last rheumatologist, and he did one blood test. In fact, before I saw you, Dr. Lenz, and he said, you don't have it. It's just like blowing me out of the water. All of this medication, you know, the IV medication, you know, uh, Orencia, Plaquenol, you know, uh, all the meds that I was on, I went, I don't have it? No, you don't. But he did not. He did not educate, or did not want to touch fibromyalgia. So I said, "Well, thank you very much," and move on. So when I met you, um, I wasn't hundred percent on board. Um, you, you were passionate, though. You were so you believed in everything, every word you said. And I said, "I'm just going to try real hard um, to." You know, educate, keep an open mind. Let's get rid of the the drugs, the medication. I know you and I worked on that. You know, if I don't have rheumatoid, then I don't have rheumatoid. And uh, we did that. And um, let's just start over again. And that's what we did. And let me tell you, it was the best decision I made. I mean, three and a half years later. I was. I walked into your office with a cane. I could not walk without my cane, and I don't walk with my cane anymore. Um, my hair was falling out because of all the medications. My hair is growing and is thriving. I mean, you know, a scale's got to look good. Come on. I mean, and I just everything. Uh, irritable bowel slowed down. You know, just trying to understand what my body is telling me. And most of it was fibromyalgia. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. So those listening to the podcast are wondering, well, what was the magic? What actually happened? And there wasn't magic. There was a comprehensive approach, starting with education like you talked about, and then like I try to do with all my patients, wanted to confirm the diagnosis. I used the American College of Rheumatology 2016 criteria. I got a baseline of where your fibromyalgia was at using the fibromyalgia impact questionnaire, the revised score. The fibromyalgia impact score for you showed that you were in the extreme range. I think you were at a level of 86 and over 80 is the level where most people are essentially disabled, not able to work. And the next step that I typically go through is looking for, by history, any coexisting issues. And in your case, it was evident that you had classic restless leg syndrome that, unbeknownst to you, you had been living with and actually had been living with for quite a while. This actually had a history of growing pains as a kid. So then we started treating that using medication, gabapentin in your case that made a significant impact yeah i was very tall for my age so there was uh, extremely i couldn't calm down my legs we now understand that what was thought was just growing pains in kids we now recognize is something called restless leg syndrome the difference between restless leg syndrome and growing pains or a growth plate problem is that Growth rate problems like oshkod schlatter's or Severs disease in the knees and ankles will have pain while you exercise. But in, quote, growing pains, that's RLS in kids, it'll be pain while you're in bed. Mom, Dad, I can't sleep. My legs ache. What's very important about RLS is that it can have a major impact because most people with RLS also have something called periodic limb movement disorder, where there's continued movement during sleep, preventing you to get into deep restorative sleep. For those who don't know what RLS is, I'm going to have future podcasts diving deeper into sleep-related issues with fibromyalgia. But the classic definitions or criteria for restless leg syndrome is that people who have it have an uncomfortable sensation in their legs when they're laying in bed. It's often hard to describe, but maybe creepy, crawly, tingly, achy, hard to get comfortable. Sometimes it's not just the legs. It could be the hips, the back, the whole body. Uh, Sometimes people even have other sensory issues like itching, itchy ears even, in addition to just overall feeling uncomfortable. The second part is it's worse the longer you're laying there. Maybe you're cleaning the kitchen. Maybe you're doing housework until you go to bed, and you may not have it initially. Maybe you can even get to the point where you can fall asleep. But you later wake up, and now you notice the really uncomfortable sensations. The third part is that it's accompanied by an almost irresistible urge to move. It's this urge that I have to move, I have to stretch, And that movement and the stretching, at least temporarily, will give some improvement, at least partially, 
and temporarily only to return the longer you are laying there. Uh, studies show that any sleep disruption, whether it's a mom with a newborn, whether you're pregnant and have other issues that are keeping you up, getting up at night to urinate, having sleep apnea, um, working third shift and trying to live with daytime disruptions and circadian rhythm disruptions will cause problems with pain. They even did a study where they had healthy college students and another study with healthy um, middle-aged women who didn't have fibromyalgia, but they put them in a sleep study laboratory for three days and played startling noises before they hit deep sleep. And within a couple days, they had the symptoms of fibromyalgia with diffuse body pain, hypersensitivity, etc. And then after three days of putting them in the laboratory, without the startling noise and disruption, their symptoms resolved. Very interesting. Another important thing is that there is higher rates of ADHD with restless leg syndrome and also higher rates of ADHD with fibromyalgia. These often go together. So I'm on the alert because it's important that treatment of RLS has improvement on functioning, even for those who don't have fibromyalgia, but also treatment of ADHD has been shown to improve symptoms of fibromyalgia, also fatigue, pain, fibrofog. So for you, uh, subsequently, we uh, made the uh, diagnosis of ADHD and treatment was started. We did do the fibromyalgia impact score, and it was at 86. Uh, for those who want to know, the, the highest score you can get is 100. The lowest is 0, and 0 to 20 is in the normal range. 20 to 30 is mild. 20, uh, 30 to 40 is mild to moderate. 40 to 60 is moderate. 60 to 80 is high, and over 80 is extreme. That is typically a point where somebody is disabled, isn't working, or if they are working, it is a tremendous burden. And the scoring has questions that go from 0 to 10, with 0 as no problem and 10 being the worst. And for example, looking at quality of life and just everyday activities, uh, Teresa, you had a score of 10 uh, for walking, vacuuming, grocery shopping, even just sitting in a chair was a 10 out of 10 in difficulty, 10 for accomplishing goals, 10 for being overwhelmed. You had a 10 for pain, uh, 10 for memory issues, 10 for anxiety, just to name a few. ADHD evaluation was done, and that was taking a careful history, also having a higher index of suspicion, a higher uh, probability that you might have this. I wanted to look into it based on your history, and it did show uh, that you had symptoms that date back to childhood. Um, now you're in your 60s, and back then, of course, uh, the saying says uh, if a tree falls in a forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a noise? Of course it makes a noise. But you had symptoms of ADHD, but back then nobody even knew that word really existed, so you likely had struggles. And we also did uh, use the World Health Organization ADHD questionnaire to help as well, and the diagnosis was made. Can you share your history going back related to some ADHD symptoms when you were younger? Oh, definitely. Um, I was, 
I was a, a B student, you know, in grade school, um, very busy, had to keep moving around. Um, there wasn't a lot of sports available for us um, back then in the, I think it was the, you know, 60s. So, uh, so I was just so busy, you know, and I, I had a really bad temper, and I, don't, I didn't know why. I got frustrated quickly, you know, it was like a short fuse, you know, um, and when I got to high school, um, I was A, A, A plus, but eh, B plus A, and um, the only problem I had with grade school and with high school is I had to study all the time. I had to repeat everything. I had to write everything down if I was memorizing something over and over again. And my parents just said, well, that's just the way you're learning. And so what I was taught by my parents is, well, this is normal. This is just who you are. And you're fine. And, but I had headaches and, and, you know, the body aches back then too. And I was very anxious. Uh, I didn't want to make a wrong decision. Didn't want to I couldn't read well, let's just say that. So I didn't want to get laughed at in school because when you were in grade school, you had to read in front of everybody. And if I missed a word or if I was off in any way in the sentence, you know, people would laugh. So I was bullied in a, in a lot of ways on how, how I could retain things. And even in nursing school, I had to work extremely hard, harder than everybody else to try to remember. But again, I was told, that's just normal. And the headaches are normal, and you know, not sleeping at night's normal. And I'm going, okay, I just accepted all this. And it's, it's none of that was normal. I, For those who are listening, uh, there are likely many of you who have children. And... Teresa's story going back to childhood may be building awareness that, hey, my kids have some of these same issues. Uh, Fibromyalgia and ADHD, RLS, often run in families and are likely more in that autosomal dominant inheritance, meaning uh, you need one copy of the gene, so you have a somewhat 50-50 chance for that to be inherited. And when you look back if you've uh, been through life into well into adulthood, you don't want your children to wait until they're your age to help figure things out and help work to getting better. Sharing your story helps build awareness, and that's so helpful. Looking back at your story, it's clear that you actually had probably what we now call mild to moderate fibromyalgia symptoms. Uh, before, in the first podcast, you said, well, maybe it started in the 40s, but looking back, these are symptoms that now we recognize are fibromyalgia-related symptoms or on that continuum. For many people, may wonder, you know, why didn't you give up? You know, you were having these academic uh, struggles and difficulties, but why didn't you give up? Right. Um, I wanted to um, get my master's. <laughs> I had big visions. Um, and I even, when I got into manufacturing as a nurse, occupational health and safety, I was in a world that I loved. But I knew 
I knew I had some type of ADHD just because uh, you, you, you meet employees and their families and you know you're helping them with insurance and and getting um, you know suggesting to go here or there wherever for um, for um, treatment and I just knew I think I'm right there with them um, so I could not go on and finish my degree because I knew I couldn't work full-time and take care of my, my boys and go to school. And that was hard. That was hard because I, I knew I could, I know I can do it. I'm not going to give up. But I finally knew, and I, this was like more in my 40s, I finally knew that this is the window. The boys are in high school going, one was going to go to college. This was my time. And I had to sit down and say, Teresa, you can't do it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. And, but, you know, that's really hard to say it's okay because that would have been the dream to be able to, you know, uh, be in the manufacturing and really get into supervision and, and higher positions. And um, this was my time, and I knew I couldn't do it. And I couldn't share it either. We will pick up. Her story, her journey of inspiration and honesty of what she's been through, the struggles, and learn more about how she got through fibromyalgia in a comprehensive approach, weaving the best of lifestyle medicine and also the best of appropriate medications and treatments of coexisting conditions. In this episode, to summarize She had coexisting restless leg syndrome. She had coexisting ADHD that was both recognized and then treated. And those helped take her from extreme fibromyalgia into the moderate level. And as we'll hear in future episodes, that helped free her up to then more easily implement healthy lifestyle changes that we'll hear more about in upcoming episodes. Again, so appreciative of all of those who are listening to the podcast. If you want to show your support for the podcast, share this with others. There are many people in the world, in our country here in the United States, and let alone the world who are struggling with fibromyalgia. And hopefully that I can expand beyond just my small clinic here taking care personally one-on-one with just the limited number of people I can reach. But the hope of this podcast is to just simply reach those who are struggling with fibromyalgia and help them get more information to learn more about this, hear more stories about fibromyalgia and related issues to help you live better. 